Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity that you have given us to be together tonight, um, to be focusing especially on you and your son, uh, to be focusing on Christ's bride, the church. Lord, I pray for me right now and for everyone in the room that uh, you will just cause all of our hearts to catch up to where we're at right now, settle our minds, settle our hearts, and let us focus on your word and what you would have for us tonight. God, we love you. Um, Lord, we do thank you for Pastor Mark and his coming and leading us in song. It is a blessing to us. Um, God, we pray for Pastor Tom as he is in Mozambique, and for Nancy. God, I pray that you will continue to give them strength, as I'm sure is what is a very tiring trip. And Lord, we also pray for the spread of the good news through your church there. God, we love you, and it's through your Son that we pray these things. Amen. All right. So this week, we begin two weeks in talking about the church. Uh, This week... The church part one, who we are, who we are. And now, if it seems like I'm skipping over anything this week, don't worry, we're going to cover it next week. And if it seems like I'm skipping over things next week, it's because I didn't have enough time to cover everything, okay? But I'm going to relax a little bit, I'm going to put that in the hands of the Lord, and we're going to try to walk through as much as we can tonight in Scripture, talking about who we are as the church. More specifically, what we see in in the Bible that describes what we are to be, or rather, what defines us as the church. So we're going to be using a little bit of a historical definition for the church um, that I'm pretty sure that we will be able to resonate with, to echo with, And um, I hope that we will get a clear picture of what defines us here tonight a little bit. But first of all, I want to throw out some really bad ideas as to what the church is, okay? And and we could go lots of, lots, I could just kind of randomly choose things. For instance, we're not a social club, right? Um, We're not the gun club. We're not... um, (laughs) We're not something that you just join into membership with and then you get to partake of these benefits or we're not just a way for people to come and find community, although that is a big part of what we do. So what I did was, now I'm leaving names out of it, but I picked out some churches and I'm picking on some churches and their sort of vision for who they are and what they want to be. And now for these churches in particular, I've chosen churches that This is the definition of who they are, all right? Okay, so work with me now. So here's some bad ideas as to what the church is or should be. Uh, Loving people to life. Now, we get it. New life in Jesus, we get it. 
But that's the extent of what they define themselves as. Okay? So that's where we're going with this. I'm trying not to be too hard. All right. Making new, making great. All right? Also, we could see something in there. I'm not sure exactly what it is. In Brighton, for Brighton. I told Tara, I thought that sounded like a t-shirt company, right? It sounds like someone that makes t-shirts with um, Brighton as the center. Okay. To reach up, to reach out, to reach in. If you were a nonprofit that was serving the community in the name of Jesus, I think that that would be a really good thing. And the church is called to serve the community, and yet this isn't the extent of what we're supposed to be doing. That's not the fullest picture. Simply to connect people. All right, again, that would be like a club that you go and join, right? That would be going and playing at the Old Boys Club or at the Mount Pleasant Football uh, Rugby, right? Okay? To connect people. And then lastly, I love this one, because this sounds like it's a business. To be a global and highly trusted model of relevant and innovative evangelism. All right. I think that they're trying to sell us something there. I'm not sure. But here's the one that really gets me, okay? There are actually some pizza restaurants okay, okay, <laughs> that have a better idea as to what we should be doing, and I love this. This is the Pizza Ranch, okay? The Pizza Ranch, what is their vision? To glorify God positively by impacting the world. That's a pretty deep vision statement for a pizza restaurant, isn't it? What's their plan for doing that? Pizza. I like that idea a lot. I'm not going to say it's a good idea for a church. Um, And then lastly, to give every guest a legendary experience. And Pastor Mark, I thought you would like that. I don't know if you want to work that in anywhere. But okay, so all that to say, and now, okay, Mountain View, we have our little catchphrase too, right? We have our little catchphrase. To make disciples by inviting people to have life, equipping people to do life, and sending people to share life with others here, there, and everywhere. Here's one of the big differences. You can actually hear the Great Commission in that. You can hear all sorts of things. And we have a lot of other things to back up that statement, right? Okay. So, tonight, I hope that um, the definition, there's, you just see six little numbers on your outlines tonight, and you can reword these things however you want. I didn't use the best wording for them, but it's a good starting off point, a good foundation for us tonight. And so the question that we need to ask is, what is the church supposed to be? And next week, we're going to talk about some of the big picture things, the church is Christ's bride, other pictures of what the church is in the Bible. But tonight, we just want the nuts and bolts of the definition. Looking back at the early church, looking at the way that the church was established and what Jesus specifically desired it to be, okay? And so, a short definition of the church, of what the church should be. A group of believers united by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's the beginning. A group of believers united by the Holy Spirit. Um, and let's just, let's just go real slowly here. What it, believers, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? Um, in Acts 16.31, I'm just going to be listing off a couple of scriptures. We, we see this said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And Paul in Romans 10, 19 says, 
Because if you confess with your mouth with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right? So a group of believers. What is a believer? Simply that. Someone that believes in Jesus. But there's a lot behind that too, right? We need to believe that, first of all, God is our creator. We need to believe that we sinned and we were separated from our creator and we needed some way of getting back to him and we need to believe that Jesus was our way of getting back, right? So there's lots that goes into that. We've talked about a lot of that already. But simply say that that's the most basic definition, the most basic way of becoming a believer, right? It's the only way. Jesus. Um, but then in Ephesians 4, uh, verses 1 through 16, I'm just going to read a little bit from that, talking specifically about unity. Okay, so a group of believers unified. Now, we could be unified over any number of things, right? We could be unified in a church where we all like the music that's played. We could be unified in a church where we all look exactly the same and do the exact same things and appreciate all the exact same things. But according to Scripture, those aren't the things that we are to be unified by. All right, so let's see what we are to be unified by. Paul says in Ephesians 4, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And we've talked about that. That bearing is picking someone else up and carrying them. Okay? Which you don't typically do for someone that you hate. right? You do it for someone that you love. And let's see what that love is based on. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then if we were to skip down to verse 13 just a little bit, um, Paul continues and says, Until we attain all the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're finding our unity in the Spirit. Our unity is found in God the Holy Spirit. Um, not in any sort of exterior thing that we do, exterior thing that we appreciate. Just as our salvation comes from God through Christ, so our unity is coming from God through the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, so, we're going to keep moving. A group of believers, un united, unified, united by the Holy Spirit who meet locally and regu regularly for the preaching of the Word. Who meet regular, locally and regularly for the preaching of the Word. Um, If, in some of the scripture that was read um, by Melvin Moraine this evening, we saw that meeting together. 
Okay? And throughout the entire New Testament, we have the Apostle Paul, and we have Peter, and others writing letters to specific churches in different areas, right? Usually it was regional churches, and in these larger regions, say like the Western Cape, there would be smaller churches that this letter would get handed around to. So in the same way, when Paul's writing a letter to a group of believers in a specific place, like Ephesus, like Corinth, uh, these are local gatherings of believers. But in Acts 2, 46 through 47, we see this. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. All right, so day by day, there was a group of people gathering at the temple. Now, this was specifically in Jerusalem, and later on in the New Testament, uh, later on in the book of, book of Acts, we see churches being planted and new groups, new uh, little communities of Christ followers being brought together. Um, but here specifically, we see the regular meeting of people. Okay? And always throughout the New Testament, there are many things attached to the, the getting together of people, right? The gathering of people. There's usually food involved. There's usually the Lord's Supper involved. There's usually singing. Um, but there's always the word being preached. Okay? There's always the word being read and the word being preached. Um, so we have a group of believers united by the Holy Spirit meeting locally and regularly for the preaching of the word, and what else? Now here comes another part. Properly cele celebrating baptism and the Lord's Supper. Okay. Um, uh, if you will, you don't have to. I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen through 22. Um, and here we have the Apostle Paul talking specifically about the Lord's Supper. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. So a church is supposed to be unified, united by the Spirit, right? And here in Corinth, we're not seeing that. Instead, we're seeing division. And I believe in part, for there must be uh, factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, is it not the Lord's Supper that you eat? For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And then he continues later on in verse 27 through 30. Whoever therefore eats bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of concerning, will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord let a person examine, examine himself, then, 
And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Okay, now this is a serious thing that's going on in Corinth, right? Um, And there's lots of ways that this can be talked about. Um, We want to make sure that we're uh, celebrating baptism and the Lord's Supper properly, okay? Um, And there are many ways that it's talked about being celebrated or partaken of improperly. But I think what the the Apostle Paul is really focusing on here is that uh, an unworthy manner means to be doing so thoughtlessly, faithlessly, without genuine love for others, and without repentance. Okay, so you're coming into the Lord's Supper, not really thinking about what it's there for. You're coming into the Lord's Supper, not really believing in who Jesus is or what he has done. And we see this, right? Um, Because some churches preach the gospel very weakly, you have people come and partake of the Lord's Supper, and they don't even know why they're eating a cracker and some juice or some wine. Right? Um, in fact, one, uh, one uh, pastor that I read a lot of, he says it like this, that nowadays you have a lot of people leaving the church, right? And what that word used to be used, a word that used to be used for that is apostate, right? They're leaving the faith. But they don't even actually know what they're leaving because they've never been taught what it is that they believe, all right? In the same way here, you have people coming and partaking of the bread and of the juice or the wine without even really knowing why they're doing it. They think it's a magic piece of bread and a magic glass that's going to give them something. And there is a spiritual aspect of it, and there is a mysterious aspect to it, but the Lord's Supper is much more than that. And next week, We're going to be partaking together in the Lord's Supper. And we'll get a better picture even of what that is. Um, But also, the same could be said for baptism, right? Um, Many people uh, get baptized without ever really knowing why they're being baptized. They get baptized because they think that this water is saving them. And we all know that it's not the water that's saving us, right? It's Jesus that's doing that. Jesus that's doing that. Um, here in, in Corinth, we had a very clear picture of God's people not loving one another, not taking care of one another, and also coming to the table unrepentant. Okay. Now, there are some ways we could take that where, you know, if you're sitting in the chair, you never take it if you have sin in your heart. Okay. And there is a little bit of truth to that. But the reality is we're always going to have some sin in our heart, right? Um, We need to be constantly repenting of our sin. And if there is someone in the room that we have sinned against, then we should go to that person, as Scripture says. And yet, um, if that were the case, I doubt that any of us would ever partake in the Lord's Supper, right? Um, As a pastor... I need to start doing a better job of actually letting you know when we are doing the Lord's Supper. It's a special reminder to repent in that case. We need to come in ready to partake together. Okay. So properly celebrating baptism and the Lord's Supper. 
And now here's an important one that no one, I don't want to talk about it. No, <laughs> I do want to talk about it. That's why we're talking about it. Um, practicing gracious church discipline with a purpose for holiness. I have just a couple of scriptures I'm going to be reading through here. Uh, actually, we'll just start in Hebrews 12, okay? Hebrews 12, verse 3 through 17. Consider him who endure, endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, you have had earthly fathers who, dis who have disciplined us, and we have respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best for them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I love that picture of us as his children being disciplined for our good for his glory, and for righteousness, right? Um, and really, when we're talking about God's pursuit of his people, and we've looked at so many instances of um, Israel falling away from the Lord, right? them being carried out of the land, things never being quite right when they were brought back into the land, this is God's discipline. And we experience this today. In different ways than Israel, though, right? Because we do meet in smaller communities. We're not all one people that's brought together in one place. Um, and because of that, as churches, we also use discipline. Now, um, also, when we're talking about children, I, I do love the fact is that it would not be loving for us to not be disciplined, Right? Okay, so one of my professors at university, he worked at a um, he worked at a very urban church, okay, middle of the city, and uh, he was he and his family were the only white people at the church, so they just called him Pastor White Guy, all right, and and now for I think three months he was left with all the preaching and everything, and the guy that uh, he co-pastored with took some time off, and um, while he was doing this, one of the keyboardists, who was an amazing keyboardist, okay, he had been in a professional jazz group, jazz group, and when he was in that jazz group, he used to use drugs all the time, all right? And this guy had keys to the church and all of this, and 
One week, they showed up for church, and he didn't show up. And then they looked around, and the keyboard was missing too. And they said, well, I forget his name now. We'll say it's Richard. Where, where did Richard go? And a couple weeks later, they found Richard. Um, Richard had had the Pastor White guy's number, and um, he gave it to the shelter that he was staying at. He had sold everything he had. Um, he had left his family, so he left his family out of it, thankfully in a way, right? And um, he sold the keyboard and got as much drugs as he could. Now, this was the first time in like 30 years this guy had had an issue with drugs. And it was just overnight like that. He made up his mind, he was doing it, and then it happened. So, what was pastor going to do? Was he going to just decide to kick him out of the church? Not exactly. What they decided to do was to find someone else in the congregation that could play keyboard, someone else that had a keyboard, and they brought that keyboard in every week. They didn't leave it in the church. And for three months, they picked him up from the shelter, and then for another three months, after he'd moved back in with his family and was back on track, they made him sit there in church for six months watching someone else play the keyboard. Okay? <laughs> and, they, and they brought him up front in front of everyone at the end of the first three months and said, this is what's happening. This is the reason why it's happening. And he sat there for another three months. And at the end of that six-month period, what did they do? They brought him up on stage, and they said, Richard, um, we would like for you to start playing music again. Um, but more than that, uh, we're not going to buy the church a new keyboard. We're going to buy you a keyboard. And it became his keyboard that he sat up there and played every week, week after week, okay? All that to say, um, to the best of my knowledge, Richard never had another relapse, okay? But this was church discipline for Richard. It was graciously spelled out. Now, there are other circumstances, other circumstances, where if he were a habitual drug user, we'd have to rethink that, right? And there are other circumstances where maybe there is someone in the church that is abusing their family members, and it's not just a matter of welcoming them back in every week, but it's actually a matter of putting them out. Um, no matter what, no matter how church discipline has to be used, um, it's for the purpose eventually, of always bringing people back into the church. It's never for punishment, right? It's to build people back up. So that's what we mean by gracious church discipline for holiness, for righteousness, like we read about in Hebrews there. Next, under qualified leadership, that is multiplying. Okay, Under qualified leadership, that is multiplying. Um, I'm going to be reading from a couple passages here, uh, starting in Acts 14, uh, 19 through 23. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel in that city and had made disciples, 
they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we may enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. All right, so here we have Paul and Barnabas putting, putting elders, shepherds, leaders into place. Okay? Um, and then we can continue on in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And this is more specifically about what qualified leadership looks like. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Right? So what's the very first thing we see in, in a church elder or a church leader? Someone who desires the position. Right? Someone that would desire to do it. Therefore, but desire isn't all that it takes. Right? And I see this in my Bible pro- program that I get to, to be a part of teaching and leading in. You have a lot of people that desire that task of eldership. It just so happens that many of them should not be, (laughs) right? Only a few should be. Only a few should be. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." And then continuing with deacons, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And then again, we see the same thing repeated in the first chapter of Titus. And so under qualified leadership, that is multiplying. And that was the other purpose of sharing that, that first passage in Acts. Okay, Because we don't just see qualified leadership that gets to stand in one place and be in control of everything that's happening. Right? We see qualified leadership that's training others to be in leadership. Who then trains others to be in leadership. Who trains others to be in leadership. Right? This is what we see happening with Pastor Tom right now. Pastor Tom trains up Mark, who takes over Mountain View Somerset, takes over, that sounded so forceful, who forces a takeover of Mountain View Somerset West. Um, And we see, luckily for me, Pastor Tom is going to come and come alongside me and train me up, um, train me in planting churches and pastoring 
and shepherding and all of that, right? And I feel blessed to have that. And that's what I love. And I think what Tom loves about his place in ministry and in life right now. And now he gets to be a part of that with couples coming from Brazil to become full-time missionaries in Mozambique. All right? Which leads us to one of the last things that biblically a church must be and must be doing. Okay? Clearly on the mission that Jesus set before us. Clearly on the mission that Jesus set before us. And we've already read this passage, but let's read it again. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Already a lot in our very young life as a church here at Mountain View, we've talked about the importance of missions. We've talked about the importance of evangelism in our community, uh, right? Here, there, and everywhere um, into the world. And um, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about church planting or anything like that, but simply to say uh, that we need to clearly be about the mission that Jesus has set us on. Now, there are many, many things that I've left out of what a church should be doing, right? The specifics. And next week, we want to talk about that. We want to talk about where singing comes in. We want to talk about where service to one another comes in, where service to our community comes in. Um, But for now, um, real quick, What does this mean for you this week? What does it mean for you this week? Except for, you know what? That's actually not a very good question. That's not a very good question. Um, Instead, I want you to be thinking of questions this week. Questions for you this week. All right, and here's, here's a couple of questions that I have for you this week. Um... The first of which is, as we continue, as Mountain View Hermanus, what are we going to look like and who are we going to be? Because like these other churches that we looked at before, the catchy little sayings and everything, I don't want to pick on them too much. They might be great places that are doing great work um, in the Lord's name, okay? But are we going to be that group of people that's unified, by things that we love, things that we have in common? Or are we, like we've talked about back in September of last year, are we going to be a diverse group of people that is instead unified by the Spirit? Okay? So are we going to be a group of believers that is unified by the Holy Spirit? Um, are we going to be people that meet locally and regularly for the preaching of the Word? And so maybe a question that goes along with that is, uh, how can we do that better? Okay? Um, How can we do that better? 
How can we present the word better in Hermanus? How can we be sharing the word together on Sundays more effectively? Are we properly celebrating baptism in the Lord's Supper? Well, as of right now, we have not celebrated baptism, have we? I I hope, uh, and maybe I need to dig into this a little bit more, I hope that everyone here has been baptized, right? That you have made that public statement of being set aside in Jesus' name. I hope that that has happened. And next week, as we partake in the Lord's Supper, and we dig into that a little bit more, Um, The old word for this, sacraments, the word that we more regularly use, ordinances, all right? We want to be doing these things well, and the question is that you need to be asking is, are we doing that well, properly, effectively? How can we change it if we need to? Um, Luckily, there's been absolutely no need for church discipline, right? And I hope that doesn't come for a very long time until there are many more people in our church. Um, But thinking about just ways that that happens, right? So the two examples that I shared this evening, or one example and then talking about um, family situations, uh, what is church discipline going to look like at Mountain View Hermanus? Biblically, it's something that is important, right? For the holiness of the church, um, so that the church is represented well in the community. And we know this, we know this. We know this from churches that have leadership that has made really poor decisions in the past and is automatically welcomed right back into leadership. What does that do for the gospel witness of a church? If we were to look back at our predecessor, Israel, and the mistakes that they made and the mistakes that the kings of Israel made, um, we would say that they were highly compromised at that point, right? Um, and we, we don't want that for ourselves. Um, under qualified leadership, that is multiplying, and then tie that right together with clearly on mission. Are we that? And if we aren't, how are we going to become that? So then more specifically, what does this mean for you this week? Again, be asking those questions specifically about yourself, and how you can be building into that at Mountain View, but then also just about Mountain View at large and what we can be doing better or differently as a church. Okay. I didn't get through everything that I wanted to get through tonight, but that's okay. We have next week still. And next week we're going to be looking at the church, what we do, all right? So we're going to be taking these things, who we are, And we're going to be filtering that into then what we do as a church. Um, Mostly what we do within the walls of the church. Why we sing. Why we choose the songs that we sing. Why we practice the ordinances. Why we do baptism in the Lord's Supper. And maybe why other things aren't on that list of things that we do together as a church. Um, But until next week, you're not dismissed, right? You're sent. So we're gonna, I'm going to pray for us, and then the chorus that we've been singing at the end of our time together, let's sing that together. I have the words that will be up there on the screen. But let me pray for us, and um, pray that the Lord will send us out 
unified in the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit to be sharing the good news of Jesus this week, okay? Father God, we love you. Um, We thank you for our time together today, Lord. We thank you for your word. Oftentimes, um, for me, it becomes easy to wonder, what am I supposed to be doing? (laughs) And Lord, what's astounding to me about that is that you've already put it out there for us in your word. You've told us what we are to be about, what we are to look like, what we are to be doing. Um, Lord, just as you gave us um, the Psalms as examples as to how we should be worshiping, how you desire to be worshiped, what should be the content, what our prayers should look and sound like, um, we needed... a guide just like that, Lord. And so we are thankful um, for Jesus who sacrificed himself for us, who gave himself up for us, um, who made us righteous before you. Lord, we are thankful that you also provided a guide through um, the gospels and through the letters that we find in your word to see what it is that your people are supposed to look like and are supposed to be doing. God, I pray for each of, this, each of us this week as we go out into the world that you will be strengthening us to, uh, and that you will be giving us courage to be sharing the good news of your Son with everyone that we meet. Um, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your church, not just as a place to go and to sing songs together, but as a place that we can go and grow more into the likeness of your son. Um, And Lord, I pray that that will be the case for us here at Mountain View Hermanus, that we will be building one another up, growing more into the likeness of what you want us to be like, more into the likeness of your son. Lord, we love you and we pray all of this in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.